it is good to be here. And it was especially good to hear this morning that you've got a, a pastoral candidate you're looking at. We're going to be praying that uh, God will guide. We went through that for a year and a half, and I lost count. I was on the search committee. I lost count of how many people we went through before God brought us the right one. And we've just, uh, he came on the field in January, and we've just been very blessed. Uh, so we'll pray that God blesses your your search and the new person that comes in, if it's this fellow or somebody else, will be exactly what God has for you. So uh, this morning we are going to be in Luke 10, 38 through 42. And let's go ahead and read that together. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted with all the preparations she had to make. So she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work alone? And tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the best part, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, quiet our hearts this morning. Open our eyes and our ears. Grant that we may hear your word and that we may go forth and put it into practice. And we just thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. And we'll thank you for all that you do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we haven't been here since February, and we've missed it. I kind of have gotten into the routine of coming over. We've, we've, you know, we've enjoyed this. It's been nice to be here and see y'all. And, and some things have, have uh, been happening in our lives as well. At the end of February, we added a new grandchild to the fold. I love that picture because she just looks like, yeah, I'm something. Yeah, so. uh, Eva. Marie uh, has joined uh, Charlene's uh, little girl. So uh, we are very thankful. It's, it's uh, you know, the grandparenting gig is great. You know, you just, you can have all the fun and then pass them back to the parents and say, you take it from here. So, all right. Well, when I was in high school, I got my dream job when I was in 10th grade. You probably wonder, what kind of dream job would I have? I worked in a library. Uh, just on the spur of the moment, I went to our local public library and said, I want to work here. And they said, OK. And so for the next three years, I worked in a public library. Uh, and in that time, I was introduced to a lot of different books and authors. And one of our staff members introduced me to an author and a book that would be part of my life from then on. No, it wasn't the Bible. That was part two, but uh, this book was The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, I had never read fantasy before. I picked this book up and I just you know, devoured it and then went into The Lord of, Ring, uh, Lord of the Rings and uh, <coughs> In the ensuing years, let's say I've lost count of the number of times I've been through it. 
But The Hobbit has a very, very special and interesting introduction. And if you, uh, you know, it used to be this was more obscure, so you'd have to explain more. Thanks to Peter Jackson's films, it's a whole lot easier to talk to people about The Hobbit, because <laughs> most people know what those are. But um, the beginning of the book, first chapter is titled, An Unexpected Party. And if you know the story, you know what happens. If you don't know the story, let me uh, just give you a quick capsule. Uh, there's this little guy named Bilbo Baggins. If you don't know what a hobbit is, he's a little short guy with hairy feet. And, uh, but you, the, the thing about hobbits in this, this book is they love eating. And they love the table. And they, they love hospitality. As a matter of fact, part of the Hobbit culture is if somebody comes to your house, you have to show them hospitality, even if it means doing without yourself. Well, uh, Bilbo enjoys a quiet life, and that's also true of Hobbits. They, they don't like a lot of excitement. So one day, something happens. Thirteen dwarves show up at his house, and they eat just about everything in sight, and Bilbo is having to entertain them, and he's having to sacrifice, because proper hospitality means you go without, and you make sure your guests are properly entertained. And so during this dinner, poor Bilbo, you don't know which one he is, that's him right there in the center, is just kind of going nuts because his quiet life has been totally turned upside down by these 13 dwarves that have showed up at his house and there's a wizard Gandalf that shows up too and all sorts of adventure stuff happens after that but I'm mostly concerned with the dinner because it just totally freaked him out. Well you might say, what has this got to do with Mary and Martha? Well, whenever I preach on a, a topic out of the Gospels, I like to see how different artists have portrayed it. And one thing I noticed when I was looking at different artistic portrayals of this incident of Mary and Martha and Jesus showing up at her house, this is the general portrait that you find. Just variations on this theme for the most part. You have Mary, who is sitting and looking adoringly up at Jesus, almost like a groupie. And you have Martha over here kind of exasperated because, Mary, come on, we've got to get dinner ready. I've got to make some sandwiches and some finger food so we can have something for the Lord. And, you know, it's just kind of this quiet little scene of these three, because really in the text, that's really all you see is Mary, Martha, and Jesus. But I don't think it looked like that. I think it more likely looked like that. Because Jesus didn't travel alone. Jesus traveled with an entourage, a fairly large one. Now, let's give it the best case scenario and say that only Jesus and the 12 showed up. So that's 13. Instant house guests. You know, they didn't text ahead and say, hey, Martha, we're coming. Can we have dinner at your house? 
We've got 13 at least instant guests. There were others who traveled with Jesus too. So it could have been more than that. Now, as you think about that, you maybe begin to get an idea of where Martha is coming from as we begin to look at this account. Ladies, can you imagine if your husband brought home 14 guests unannounced and said, let's have dinner? You probably would identify with Martha. Let's think through what happens in this really brief passage. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. What do we learn about Martha? Well, first of all, it's interesting that it mentions that Martha welcomed him as a guest. That implies that she was the head of the household. She may have been a widow, probably was. She was evidently the oldest. Now, we know from John's Gospel, John 11 and 12, that there was not only Mary, there was also Lazarus. So we have this household, but Martha is very clearly the head. She welcomes Jesus and the disciples as a guest. Luke does not tell us if they had a prior relationship, if they knew each other before this. All we know is that Martha welcomes him. Keep in mind, in the culture of that day, hospitality was very, very important. When your guests showed up, you took care of them. If you took them into your house, you took care of them. So Martha has a, an instant banquet on her hands. Now we have Mary. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. Remember that phrase, sat at the Lord's feet. So we have Mary, presumably a younger sister, don't know how much younger, but she is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to what he says. Remember, this isn't just a nice little quiet trio. We've got a banquet going on here, or maybe a, somebody trying to get ready for a banquet. We've got Jesus, 12 disciples, maybe some others. Mary is in that room sitting at Jesus' feet. little observation that I had never noticed before and I picked up in one of the commentaries that I read for this, every time you see Mary in the scriptures, she's at Jesus' feet. I'd never noticed that. She's at his feet here. She is at his feet at the death of Lazarus. You know, Martha just kind of comes up and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Says Mary fell at his feet. And then what's she doing in John 12? Mary is anointing his feet. Isn't that amazing? Mary is at the Lord's feet, listening to what he says. Now, it says Martha was distracted with all the preparations she had to make. Remember, she's not throwing together a few sandwiches and some finger food. She has an instant banquet she's got to get together. She's, she maybe even is having to pull resources from other households. Who knows what she's having to do, but she's got a crowd that has descended on her house. And for all we know, Mary is the only help that she has. It certainly appears to be that that's the case based on Martha's reaction. Martha's distracted with all the preparations. She comes up, and it's interesting to me, 
what her reaction is. You know, I would have probably guessed that Martha might have stood at the door and said, Psst, Mary. Or maybe even come in and whisper, Mary, I need your help. She doesn't do either of those. What does she do? She goes up to the Lord. Martha is in true character. Again, if you look at Martha in the Gospel of John, you, again, you see Martha is kind of an in-your-face person. And she goes up to Jesus. And she says, Lord, don't you care? Interestingly, that phrase, have you heard somebody else say that at one time in the Gospels? I can think of one other time. I tried to find more than one. Right. When the disciples are in the ship and it looks like it's going to go down, what do the disciples say? Lord, don't you care? I don't know that that's, anybody else ever says that. But, but Martha is like, Lord, are you totally indifferent to what's going on here? My sister has left me behind to do all the work alone. Tell her to help me. And the phrase help is, it's, it's come alongside and help me. And I love Jesus' reaction. Martha, Martha. You know, Jesus doesn't get all uptight. I mean, again, this is, this is the Lord. He could have said, Martha, get out of here. You know, I will do with what, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, Jesus was not hesitant to confront people who were out of line. Think of Simon the Pharisee. You know, he said, Simon, I came to your house. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint me with oil. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't do any of this stuff. Uh, but Jesus doesn't rebuke Mary, or Martha, excuse me. He just says, Martha, Martha. That's a, it's an affectionate term. He says, you're worried and troubled about many things. He said, only one thing is needful. Only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen, literally, the best portion. You know, it's, it's like when you get a big cake or pie, and it's divided up, and, and one portion is a little bit bigger than, than the other. In my case, when they cut up the pizza, and well, they didn't cut it straight. There's you know, this big piece, and there's this little tiny piece. I'm going for the big piece. You know, Mary has chosen the best portion. And it won't be taken away from her. So what's happening there? Well, first of all, get in mind one thing. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. Martha was fulfilling her responsibility and duty as based in that culture. That culture said, if you have a guest, you are responsible to take care of that guest. She had at least 13, maybe more. Martha isn't doing anything wrong. Martha is focused on serving. In fact, it's interesting that the word that's used in that text when it's talking about uh, the preparations, Martha was distracted with all the preparations. The word is service. Same word from which we get our word deacon. Martha isn't doing anything wrong. Martha is perfectly in line doing what she is supposed to be doing according to that culture. What about Mary? 
Mary was breaking every conceivable social norm. First of all, as a woman, she wasn't even supposed to be in that room. They were divided very clearly back then. The men would get together, and the men would have the meal, and they would talk, and, and the women, they would stay in another part of the house, and they would do their thing. Mary came in and sat down with the men. You didn't do that. Now, you know, I was thinking about this, and I, I said, I wonder if that raised any eyebrows among the disciples, and I don't think so. Because remember, Jesus and the disciples have been traveling, and there have been a group of women that have been traveling with him who have been supporting him and, in, in effect, have been acting as disciples. They weren't named as apostles, but they were disciples. So I don't really think the, the, the 12 probably, you know, they might have still said, you know, really? But I don't know that they were just terribly upset about this. So Mary is, is, has, has broken, you know, social rule number one. Women don't sit and eat with the men. Mary has broken another norm. It says she was sitting at Jesus' feet. That's not just describing her position. Again, that's why I don't like the, 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 the paintings that kind of have her sitting there looking up like a groupie. Because that's not what that means. To sit at someone's feet, to sit at a rabbi's feet, meant that you were taking the place of a disciple. That you were taking the position of a student and by implication, hopefully, will become a rabbi yourself, able to teach others. Mary was doing something that they didn't like. Women weren't supposed to do that. In fact, there were many in that culture in that day and even on past that day that said women shouldn't even have an education. They shouldn't be taught. Their place is to take care of the home, to raise the family, to cook the meals, keep the house. Women were not supposed to be trained. You remember the, the movie Yentl? Yeah. You know, Yentl had to disguise herself as a young man to get the training and the teaching that she craved. Mary was not supposed to be sitting at Jesus' feet. She was not supposed to be taking the place of a disciple. Now, I've already kind of mentioned this. Martha directs her frustration at the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Why not Mary? Why didn't she just go in and grab her? She was the boss of the house anyway. Why didn't she just grab her and take her out? I think, in one sense, maybe Martha was frustrated at Jesus because he was tolerating this. That... Jesus, you of all people, should know what is the way things are done and, and what is right and what is not right and, and this is not right. And you, as the, as the rabbi, as the Messiah, you should be calling Mary out right now. But because you're not, I'm going to confront you. You need to tell her to come help me. 
when Jesus replies to Martha, as I said, it's a gentle reply, but it points toward the superiority of Mary's choice. He said, Mary has made a choice. Mary has made a decision. She has chosen the better portion. You're worried, you're distracted by many things. Mary has chosen the better portion and it's not gonna be taken away from her. So what do we do with that? Well, a lot of times when you, when you study this passage, you'll see some will say, well, this is, you know, this is setting up the, the active life versus the contemplative life. You know, are you a Mary or are you a Martha? You know, are you out there just serving or are you one who sits at the Lord's feet and teaches? And, and often it's, you know, we need to, you know, we need to study our Bibles. You know, we need to hear the word of the Lord because that's what Mary was doing. She was hearing the word of the Lord. She was sitting at his feet. Uh, I don't think that's the distinction that's being made. Remember, and we're going to have to go back a few, well, I, I'd say a few messages, several months, but I'll refresh your memory as we go here. Remember when Jesus, earlier in this gospel, sent out the 70. You know, he'd already sent the 12 out on a little mission trip. Then he sends out the 70 on a, on a mission trip. And when they come back, what is their reaction? They are ecstatic because they say, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus says, that's, you know, that's cool. Yeah, that's, that's in the Greek. Uh, that's cool, but don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What should really give you joy is that your names, that God knows your name, that your name is written in heaven. Remember, we said the, the, the implication of that is the joy of the Lord is your strength. As you are filled with the joy that only comes through Jesus Christ, as you're filled with the joy of the Lord, there you find strength. But we went on a little farther because a little farther in, in chapter 10, when we see the lawyer come to Jesus and say, what, what should I do that I might have eternal life? What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But then he follows it up by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he tells the story because the, the, the lawyer says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And remember when I was here last time, we talked about the Good Samaritan. And I finished with this. Jesus flipped the whole question around. Because, it, you know, by making the Samaritan the hero, he was basically asking or making a similar statement here. The first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? In other words, 
the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Our responsibility is to love our neighbor. But you can't love your neighbor unless you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Martha has an instant banquet. And she's concerned with serving and meeting the needs of her guests. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing the word of God, responding to him. So which should it be? Should I be a Mary? Or should I be a Martha? There are a couple passages of scripture from the Psalms that I think play in here. One, one of my favorite from Psalm 42 is the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. There's another one, Psalm 16, 5. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. I like this statement. The essence of discipleship is not our service rendered to Christ, but finding our sustenance in Christ. It is not in being a Martha, but a Mary. Discipleship is not so much a teeth-gritting devotion to duty as a joyful devotion to and dependence on Christ. Does that mean that we're to be Mary's rather than Martha's? No, I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and. Remember, Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. Martha's problem was she had her priorities mixed up. And that's the point that Jesus is making. You know, you're distracted about many things. It's only one thing really necessary. And Mary has chosen that thing and it won't be taken away from her but Jesus isn't saying that we should all just sit around and 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 be contemplative quiet Mary's what he's saying is it should be Martha and Mary but Mary should come first ministry discipleship service grow out of a love for Christ. It's really easy in like corporate ministry here, ministry in a church, even personal ministry, things that you're doing for the Lord on your own. It's easy to get caught up and become distracted by all of the things that need to be done. And when we do that, we may be doing good things, needful things, proper things. We may not be doing anything wrong, but if we have moved into the realm to where we are distracted and drawn away from the Lord, 
then as we serve, like Martha, we're going to kind of sink in that frustration. I saw somebody put a little meme on, on uh, Facebook yesterday. It was a, uh, I, I wish I'd have thought to save and put it in my notes, but it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. But it was uh, a, a chart of, of church growth over you know, several decades. And, and it talked about, and it was just a, you know, a fictional church, but uh, you know, 1970s, attendance, 200. Uh, number of people actually doing anything for. And then it goes to 19, what was that, 60, 70, whatever the next decade was. I've already forgotten. I'm, that's the joys of getting old. Uh, next decade. Attendance, 400. Number of people actively involved, four. Uh, next decade, attendance, 600. Uh, number of people actively involved, uh, four. And that's what it feels like sometimes, particularly if you're in a pastoral role. The old adage that 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people is not far from reality. And the problem is that 10% often will get frustrated and fall into the mindset of Martha. God, why don't you get some more people involved? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're distracted. You know what's needful? Come sit at my feet. What does this mean for you and me? One, all of us need to balance the Mary and the Martha in our lives. We all need to balance the Mary. You know, if you, you know, the question posed to me, are you a Mary or are you a Martha? Well, if you're primarily a Martha, then you need to add some Mary in. And if you're mostly a Mary, you need to throw in some Martha. Because both of those you know, it's kind of like the two wings on an airplane. Yeah, same thing. I want both of them on there. You need to balance the Mary and the Martha because it's not either or, it's both and. If you're in the frustrated realm, then you need to chill. Take a deep breath. Sit at Jesus' feet. And remember that he's in control. If you're on the other end... And you love soaking it in, but you're really not keen on getting in the kitchen with Martha. Not literally, just you know what I mean. Then you might ask God, you know, we've got a new pastor coming in, maybe. What can I do as part of this church to help this body grow? It may not be a big thing. It may be a little thing. But is there one little thing that you or I could do to help this church become everything God wants it to be? If every person in this room would do that, you'd be amazed at what God would do. Martha, Martha, 
You are worried and distracted over many things. Only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen that better portion, and it will not be taken away. May God help us to choose that portion. But then get in the kitchen and help Martha. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We love you. Your grace is so amazing, and we are so undeserving. Lord, we thank you that you have been working here, that you've brought along a, a man who may be the person that, that you want to be here. We don't know that yet, but, but you do. Just pray that you might give this church wisdom, give guidance, lead as you would lead, and no matter what happens, help them to rest in your provision. And Lord, help all of us here to balance Martha and Mary. For those of us who are primarily Mary's, grant that we might throw some Martha in there. And for those of us who are primarily Martha's, help us to sit down, take a deep breath, sit at your feet, and remember that you're in control. And we'll give you the praise for all you do in Jesus' name.